Welcome to Men's Levens from the Edge, a podcast geared toward helping entrepreneurs thrive by learning from the experiences of executives in the technology, biotech, and finance fields. On this podcast, Men's Levin partners who work with growing companies, raising capital, building great management teams, and achieving successful liquidity events will discuss with investors and entrepreneurs the key reasons that they were able to build successful companies and important lessons learned along the way. Mince Levin is a nationally leading law firm focused on helping emerging growth companies achieve success. Check us out at mincedge.com. Well, welcome to today's podcast. We're really fortunate to have a really wonderful guest. Patrick Henry is a serial entrepreneur and founder and CEO of Quest Fusion, a San Diego-based consulting company that provides strategic guidance to entrepreneurs and startup companies. Patrick is the former CEO of Entropic Communications, where he took the company from pre-product and pre-revenue to a successful IPO on NASDAQ and an eventual $1 billion valuation. Patrick has raised over $200 million of equity capital for his companies and executed on over $2 billion in M&A transactions. He's a regular contributor to Inc. Magazine, Entrepreneur, Huffington Post, and Fast Company. He is the author of Plan, Commit, and Win, 90 Days to Creating a Fundable Startup. And most importantly, Patrick is also a really great friend. This is Jeremy Glazer from Mince Levin. I'm uh, one of our co-chairs of our Emerging Companies and Venture Capital Practice. And I've been fortunate to be able to work with Patrick over many years, and I know he has some really great insights for us. What we're gonna focus on today, Patrick, is your personal experiences and lessons that you learned in starting companies and growing them, taking them through IPOs and M&A exits. And I think that's gonna be really valuable to our listeners. Welcome. Thanks a lot, Jeremy. Appreciate you having me on the program. Our pleasure. So I always like to start these by just getting a little bit of background about you know, who you are and why did you decide to become an entrepreneur? Well, I mean, I, I'm a tech executive uh, as, as kind of my, my primary DNA, I guess you'd say. I have an undergrad in engineering, worked in the business side of technology for about five years before going back and getting my MBA. And then I worked at some of the larger companies in Silicon Valley for about 10 years after grad school, kind of worked my way up to kind of the number two, number three position at a, a public technology company that we eventually sold. And I found myself in a general manager position at a very large chip company. And it was just very stifling for me relative to kind of when we had our own company, even though it was a public company, you know, the, the way we made decisions, the, the strategies, you know, how we, how we did things was much more efficient and quick and much less bureaucratic. So, and by that point in time, I felt like I had done enough things that I was capable of running a company. I didn't have kind of that swagger when I was in my early 20s that some of the young entrepreneurs have today that we deal with. But I was, you know, in my late 30s and and had an opportunity to run a technology company in Southern California. So I, I jumped on it. Wonderful. Great background. So you've had a number of startups. Tell us about one of your startups. Well, I think the most exciting is Entropic that you mentioned. You know, I had run two tech companies prior to that. One was uh, had a, cor- a major corporate sponsor, so it wasn't traditionally venture-backed financing. It was a defense contractor that was entering commercial businesses, which 
was happening a lot in kind of the late 90s when, you know, these tech companies or these uh, aerospace companies and defense companies were incubating commercial technology companies. After 9-11, most of that got shut down, and that was one of the companies that I was running. Then I ran kind of a turnaround situation. It was a a combination of a Kleiner Perkins-backed venture-funded company that got merged with another technology company that was a spin-out of a larger company. Kind of a a difficult situation there, but was able to sell it and uh, kind of move on from there. But Entropic was kind of pretty clean when I moved in. There were four four co-founders. One had already left. The lead co-founder who was the founding CEO, a gentleman named Itzhak Grants, was a brilliant technology executive and they were really looking for somebody to balance out the team with more kind of technology business background. And like, you know, you said at the, the intro, you know, took it from pre-product and pre-revenue to raising multiple rounds of capital and eventually an IPO. And you know, it's never kind of up and to the right. There's a lot of ups and downs in that process, which we can definitely talk about. but. Uh, that was just a great experience and I uh, really enjoyed myself and raised a lot of money and you know, eventually was able to return a lot of money to the, the investors in that company. Well, the fact that you've raised a lot of money is, I think, of great interest to our listeners. As you, as you know, most entrepreneurs, the number one thing that they face is raising money, how to raise money. So you know, maybe tell a little bit about how you raise money in particular for some of your startups, whether it's Entropic or others, and some of the obstacles and some of the things that worked as well. Yeah, it's never, I've never been one of those fortunate people that it was, things come easy to me, you know, I just show up and people throw money at you and having those kinds of deals. So it's always been a grind, even with Entropic, which I thought we had a a tremendous technology that was uh, enabling a whole new set of applications that previously didn't exist. We enabled multi-room DVR. Uh, prior to Entropic, you know, you can only have a DVR in one room or have multiple DVRs in your home. There wasn't the capability of streaming video room to room and doing video sharing. So we had a great technology, but it was, you know, after 9-11, it was, you know, during, before the economy had fully recovered. And, you know, then we ran into another big downturn in the economy in 2007 and 2008, kind of weathered through that storm. I think a, a lot of what my experience has been is you have to build a great company and focus on the operational side, building a great team, executing on the strategy, building the right protections in place so you have a sustainable competitive advantage. But so much of it is about the team. You know, there's a lot of great ideas out there and even ideas that, you know, seem relatively straightforward in terms of you can get it relatively quickly in terms of the value proposition. But actually creating a commercial product and a business around that idea is can be incredibly challenging, even with some of the most brilliant engineers and technologists on the planet, which we had, it was still really hard. So when you do that and you accomplish those things and you're able to clearly articulate the value proposition and demonstrate that, that you're getting customer traction, that's the best way to attract investors into a company. So that's interesting. So, you know, many, many companies, certainly during the dot-com era, were able to raise money just off of an idea. Yeah. And I think what I hear you saying is that's really not, that's not realistic and that's not the best way. I, I mean, obviously it's, it's happened. <laughs> it, has been, it hasn't been my experience. I can only talk from my experience. I definitely have seen companies that, you know, during the bubble, which um, bubbles don't last 10 years, they last a couple years. If your timing is impeccable and you've got just this incredibly, you know, frothy, fervent environment, 
maybe you can get a company funded during that. But how, what are you going to do after that? You know, do you have enough time that you can actually execute on an exit strategy and monetize that for yourself, your management team, your investors? Um, so a lot of these companies, even in the most recent uh, kind of mini bubble, I guess you would call it with the, the unicorn era, I think a lot of companies have raised a lot of money, but have they returned a lot of money to the investors and created wealth for their teams and, and for their, their board, for you know the various different stakeholders that are involved in the company? That's the real metric of success, not how much money you raise, but how much money you return. I, I love that. I think, I mean, this is something that I know we've talked about in the past, and that is, you know, it goes back to, you know, always be selling, right? Always be thinking about the end game. And the end game when you're starting a company is about how are you going to monetize? Can you take it public? Can you sell it? And I think, unfortunately, a lot of entrepreneurs think that they've succeeded when they raise money. Yeah, and that's just not, the, I mean, obviously you need a, a huge job of a startup CEO is to raise capital for their companies because that's the fuel that allows you to grow. But that's not the, the ultimate thing that you want. In fact, I think a lot of entrepreneurs try to optimize valuation on each specific funding round as opposed to looking at the, the bigger picture, you know, getting the right investors into the deal at a fair valuation versus getting whoever will come in at a maximum valuation. Um, and as you and I have talked about in, in other, other discussions we've had, focusing way too much on valuation and not the other deal terms, you know, when you're raising capital. I think that it's, being a, a startup CEO is incredibly complex and I've done it four times now and I continue to learn more. I mean, I definitely learned a lot between number one and number two and number two and number three. There's just a lot that you need to know, which, you know, that's why you got to surround yourself with the right mentors, the right peers, all that kind of stuff. So this just reminds me, actually, just last night I was lucky enough to attend a speech by uh, Ed Visters, who was one of the guys who has climbed um, all 14 of the 8,000 meter um, peaks in the wow. world. And it was an incredible speech. And as you're talking, I'm hearing such similarities. He talked about how that people think that the goal is to get to the top. And he said, no, the goal is to get back down to the bottom. Alive. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and this which, is kind of like, this is kind the, of what you're saying here the about. The descent sometimes is the hardest part on e some of those e climbs. Exactly. And, and you're talking about preparation. He yeah. talked all about preparation. You're talking about the experiences that you had that got you ready to ultimately have the success that you had with Entropic. Yeah. Yeah. And, it, you know, there is there is no substitute for good timing. And we've never, at least in the companies I've run, we've never had great timing. Maybe... When I was, you know, like, like I said, the number two, number three guy at CQ Microsystems, we had good timing there. But relative to how much money everybody else was making, we felt like we felt bad about ourselves, you know, because all these dot com companies were making so much money and we were a technology chip company. We still did incredibly well. But on a relative basis, we we're like, gosh, I wish I was at, you know, whatever Netscape or one of these other companies. But um, definitely. A lot of what you do in terms of preparation puts you in that right situation so that when the right timing does occur, you can capitalize on it. I think some of the great thinkers, you know, always talked about that. It's, you know, where preparedness meets opportunity is, is where you run into kind of great success. Totally. Well, I love how much you've really dedicated yourself, um, you know, after all these successes to really helping the entrepreneurial community. And, and one of the things that you've done, Patrick, which I just love, is that you took the time to write a book, really you know, about how to... Uh, assist entrepreneurs in, in raising money and uh, and building great companies. Talk a little bit about you know why why did you choose to write a book? 
Well, I, I, I ran Entropic um, for 11 years, seven years as a public company, um, and like we talked about, kind of weathered through the downturn of you know 2008, 2009, eventually drove it to a billion dollar valuation, and we eventually were able to sell the company to another, another technology company. So after that experience, um, I was looking around, I was no longer in my 20s or 30s, and you know, should I run another company? What should I do? So I started, you know, just doing some advisory work with, with entrepreneurs that I knew. And I really enjoyed it. You know, I really enjoyed kind of the coaching and advisory type of work. And I started dedicating and devoting myself more to that, that task. So I started doing a lot of blogging, video blogging. And um, the great thing with the internet is you can track analytics with you know what people like, what they don't like, what they're actually reading and not reading. And I was also doing some angel investing and meeting with entrepreneurs around that. And what everybody gravitated towards in terms of the content was how do I raise money? And I fortunately had a lot of experience in, in terms of how to raise money. So I wrote the book really about that. But taking a, a little bit different angle at it, which is, a lot of times when people approach me, they're like, help me develop an investor presentation or help me introduce, help, give me introductions into your network, you know, your network of VCs and angel investors. And that's not really how it works. That's kind of the tip of the iceberg. There's a whole set of things that are foundational below that, which Plan Commit Win really focuses on that, the foundational elements that help you climb the hierarchy of raising outside capital. Having a great idea, what smart ideation look like? You know, how do you put a strategy in place? How do you, you know, have a plan that you can execute to and that you can demonstrate that you're actually achieving the things and accomplishing the things that you've set out to do, which is what investors are interested in. They're not just interested in your idea. As soon as they understand the idea and understand the product and the value proposition, they move on to how are you going to accomplish this and build this into a great business? Because great businesses are what make money, not great ideas. So um, I've, I've read your book and had a chance to talk to you about your book you know, before, and I think it has some really great, really great lessons. And I love what you're focusing on. You know, so often, again, when the entrepreneurs show up at my, at my door, they just say, well, we're just looking to raise capital, right? And they haven't really thought about all the stuff behind that, like you said, that's going to help them be successful in raising capital. So you know, if, you, if you could sort of give maybe just a quick outline, you've done a little bit here, but maybe a little more detail about what are the steps that you recommend an entrepreneur take before they actually send that executive summary out to a venture capitalist? What are you recommending in your book? Well, the focus I have in the book is really around raising an institutional round of financing. So you've, you've, got, you've gone beyond the bootstrapping phase, beyond the friends and family stage. You know, maybe you're doing your first angel round, a seed round of capital, or maybe you're doing something with venture capitalists, venture capitalists as a series A. So you're, you're starting to deal with more sophisticated, more professional investors in that situation. So you need to go through that process of not just showing up with an idea. The idea needs to be fully baked. Hopefully you at least have a prototype, maybe a, a minimum viable product. Maybe you have some initial revenue traction. You have feedback from customers. And now you're starting to think about how do I build a business around this idea and this product concept and you know, raising outside capital, as, as we've talked about before, is, is a process, it's not an event. So you're typically gonna have multiple touch points with a prospective investor over a, a three to six month period of time, and they're gonna continue to ask you questions about what have you accomplished since the last time we talked, 
and they have the plan that you had in the beginning and are you executing to that plan you know so it's plan commit and win if it's just plan that doesn't work either you have to actually i come to i i run into entrepreneurs all the time that have this great plan and we're going to land this customer in this time frame and then the next time i meet with them the first question i ask is how are you doing relative to that customer you talked about and sometimes the plan has changed or sometimes oh we're having major problems with that but we have all these other great things going on that's a yellow flag to me so i think that's a big part of it is establishing credibility with investors is incredibly important and it's a two-way process as well you know you you need to make sure that you're building trust and credibility you know that no like and trust factor are important and it's a two-way street great great advice so you know you've spent a lot of time uh, you know mentoring entrepreneurs uh, particularly around things like you know management building a management team building a board uh, maybe talk a little bit about you know what what's your advice in particular for an entrepreneur out there who needs wants to find a mentor what do you recommend they do well, in building a management team or a board or even finding a mentor, I think you you need to identify the skill set that you're looking for, kind of the skills and abilities, roles and responsibilities. What are you trying to accomplish by adding that person and how are they going to help move the needle for the company? So in terms of a, a mentor or a board member, or like I said, a member of your management team, there's this kind of intersection of domain expertise, you know, having a, a good understanding of whatever their specialty is, you know, it could be an industry specific specialty or it could be uh, a functional specialty. They're a marketing expert, an operations expert, hopefully within the industry that you're, 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 you're targeting. Then there's this kind of technical expertise. Those are the kind of hard skills for a particular thing that you're looking for. And in a mentor, you want somebody that's kind of traveled the road ahead of you they don't necessarily have to be 10 years ahead of you but far enough ahead of you that they've seen enough and done enough that they can provide some perspective that maybe you don't have yet and um, then it's got to be your good personality fit and you know people would always ask me like what what is the hardest position to hire for and i would always say executive admin because that's the person that you work the closest with if you don't have a good relationship with the, the person that supports you and that you work closest with, you're going to have a big problem. So, but I think that gets understated and underestimated the importance of that chemistry and working with somebody and with a mentor, especially these, this is somebody that you're going to have probably one of the most deep relationships that you have with other than maybe your spouse and somebody that can be a confidant, somebody that can um, respect confidentiality, somebody that you can trust. And somebody's been down the road further than you and has some perspective. So, so I'm a young entrepreneur. Yeah. Um, have this great idea, right? I'm I'm building it in my garage. Yeah. Where do I go to find mentors? I mean, we all want a mentor. How do I find them? Where do I go? I think you know. You, I used to get asked questions when I was you know with bigger tech companies, you know, and I'd occasionally do these interviews and stuff like this about you know who who do you idolize, you know. When you're looking for a mentor, it's not so much you want to put somebody on a pedestal, but it's got to be somebody that, oh man, if that person were my mentor, I would be like on fire about it. I'd be so excited about it. So looking around within your your domain, within your industry, within your technical expertise, once you've identi identified what you're looking for, try to identify the best person uh, or best potential set of people 
that could service that role and then build a relationship with you. Unless you're fortunate enough that you already have a strong relationship with somebody from a past working situation that maybe they were your boss and now you've moved on or maybe they were a former board member and you know they've moved on or, or something like that. So you can build strong mentorship relationships out of your existing pool of, of networking relationships but they may be one step removed. And if they're one step removed, try to get a warm introduction to that person from somebody inside of your network and build a relationship. You know, understand, do they, you know, do they have an interest and a capability to do the things that are necessary to help you move your career along and move your business along? Excellent. So, you know, we talked a little bit about building, you know, management teams and boards as well. And I know you've recruited a lot of executives in your career and you've also worked with a lot of boards. Yeah. Um, it'd be great if, again, you can maybe help our listeners with some stories about, you know, how you went about finding management, how you went about finding board members. And it's always fun also to hear about the ones that didn't work out. No, no, <laughs> no names, of course, but just maybe some stories. Yeah, I... One of the things that's unique about being um, a startup CEO or a CEO in any you know company, even a public company, is that you move from having a single boss, maybe if you're in a matrix organization, maybe you have a couple bosses, but you move into a position where now you have multiple bosses. You know, a typical board, five to seven people, maybe it's a true startup and you have the two founders and maybe an advisor or something like that. but. Um, once you kind of move into kind of being what I would call a real company, you've got, you know, five to seven people on your board and all of those people are your bosses. Now, in a venture-backed startup, typically a couple of those uh, board seats are venture capitalists that have led financing rounds or, or things like that. Maybe you have yourself as a founder or as a CEO and maybe another founder on the board. And then you have an opportunity to bring other people on the board that have domain expertise or technical expertise outside of the area that you have. So first thing is how do you make sure you get the right VCs? And find VCs that have investment experience in, in your industries. They hopefully have you know a reasonable amount of experience in being on boards. They, you know, it's a board is a team, so making sure that you know that there's high a high level of functionality and they actually want to be there. Um, but you gotta make some compromises because you need to get money in the door. So VCs, you can't always have that kind of perfect situation where they're the most value-added person that you'd want on the board. And no matter how brilliant most VCs are, a lot of them are, are purely finance people, which isn't a bad thing. It's just you don't have that complementary skill set of an operating person on the board. So early in, in my career, I had mentors that you know had run companies and they advised me and said, make sure that you get somebody on the board besides the investors that don't really have a strong understanding and domain expertise and technical expertise around this, because no matter what happens with all companies, the proverbial shit always hits the fan. <laughs> so you wanna have somebody on the board besides you that actually knows what's going on in the industry, they understand how things work, so the board has somebody to turn to so they don't just hit the panic button. And that was probably the best advice I ever got. And when I did that and uh, things did go sideways or you know upside down, there were always opportunities for the, the, the financial people on the board to have somebody else to turn to, somebody that could help jump in and understand things quickly and assess the situation. Was it a problem with me or was it a problem with the company or the, 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 the industry or the, the macroeconomic environment? 
And um, also just even when things are good, having that person on the board that has that capability, that speaks your language, that understands things. They don't, they're not a substitute for a mentor that's not on the board because there's always challenges sure. with board members, but they can provide a lot of guidance and help not only to you, but with your communication with the board. Yes. Um, it, it's just invaluable to have that type of person on the board. That's wonderful. So as we're wrapping up, I, I know you've been a big uh, fan of uh, CEOs in particular having what's called a peer support group. Yeah. Um, talk a little bit about a peer support group, the role that it plays, why you think it's important, and maybe some advice about where uh, the CEOs out there can go to find a peer support group. Yeah. So I, you know, I think peer support groups generally, both in terms of building yourself personally and professionally, can be extremely valuable because they it becomes a trusted group of people that you know are true peers that have similar experiences but not the same experiences so you can have that mastermind multiple minds coming together to help solve the most difficult problems and um, you only know what you know and what you don't know you don't know what you don't know so having other people around the table that have different experiences can be extremely valuable from a learning perspective so I think having a strong mentor or somebody that's a guide is very important in these peer support groups, just generally for anybody are important, but for CEOs, the CEO is a very lonely position and trust me, nobody's gonna feel sorry for CEOs, but if you are one, um, you can't tell everything to your board, You know, at least without having some fully baked solutions around that. I'm an advocate of providing a high level of transparency here to your board, but boards really don't want you to come to them on every single problem and every single issue. Um, but especially if you don't have some some at least recommendations and solutions around some of the problems that you're bringing to them. Yes. You can't share everything with your team or any particular person on your team. Your spouse probably doesn't want to hear about all this stuff <laughs> and they don't necessarily have the domain and technical expertise to really help you around that. So having a, a group of peers that you can bring things to can be incredibly valuable and people that get into these really strong peer support groups, they these are some of the best relationships that um, they ever end up having, um, both from a business and a personal standpoint. So there's established organizations out there like YPO, but there's you know restrictions on getting in in terms of how much money your company has to make. Um, there's EO, um, which used to be Young Entrepreneurs. There's Vistage, um, and then there's localized groups, and there's also self-directed groups. You can you can build your own group. Something that we're doing at Quest Fusion is we're going to move forward with focusing on CEOs that are working on raising capital and growing their businesses. A lot of the things we talk about in Plan, Commit, Win and building uh, peer support groups around that model. You know, if you if you haven't done this, there's there's articles on my blog site. I would investigate this. These are concepts that are not new. You know, the mastermind terminology was, you know, coined by Napoleon Hill, who were thinking grow rich. But these types of peer support groups have existed way before then with people like, you know, Thomas Edison and Henry Ford being close, you know, confidants with each other. And that was one of the biggest things that helped them build incredible businesses. So I'm glad I'm glad you mentioned Quest Fusion as we wrap up. Can you tell our, our listeners if they want to connect with you, what should they do? Yeah. So, you know, you can connect with me through the, the Quest Fusion website. We have a contact me page there. Um, I'm on Twitter at, uh, at Quest Fusion. Uh, that's kind of my news feed. Obviously, if you have any comments on any of my blog posts, they're, they're also on uh, questfusion.com. And uh, that's probably the best way to reach me. Um, you can also send me a, a note, uh, and it will get to me at info at questfusion.com. And um, you can come in that way, and we can talk as well. 
Well, that's great, Patrick. Well, again, thank thank you so much for everything you're doing to support entrepreneurs, the entrepreneurial community, and just sharing all your you know years of wisdom. Thank you, Jeremy. I really appreciate that. And as Jeremy mentioned on the opener, if you you know we have a strong historical relationship, but he is definitely one of the top corporate attorneys, and I think having sage advice from a corporate attorney and we didn't get into that on the show because jeremy's so gracious they didn't want to have a commercial having a strong corporate counsel can not only save you tons of money even though they can sometimes be expensive on an hourly basis the advice that you get can save your company money and help help you immensely in terms of creating value and i think it's underestimated sometimes thanks again for joining us patrick you bet thanks jeremy